Amen. Thank you, Drew and Angie. Yeah, I would clap for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Drew and Angie and team. Uh, well, good morning. How are you? I'm excited to be with you. I've been not standing here for two weeks, and so I'm very prepared to give you twice as much today. Um, that won't happen. Uh, did not hear many claps or amens on that. Um, <laughs> Hey, uh, as we do each week, before we dive into God's Word, I'd love for us to take a moment uh, and pray together corporately. Uh, this is an opportunity for us as a gathered body of Christ to pray together with one voice and one accord. Uh, and today in particular, uh, I thought it very appropriate for us to, to pray genuinely with the attitude and the heart of thanksgiving. Now, I know that you likely celebrated Thanksgiving with either family or friends or those that you loved uh, this past week, and you probably had delicious food. Uh, I have the internet, so I saw most of what you ate, and it looked incredible. Uh, look, we had a wonderful time uh, thanking the Lord and just having the opportunity to be with those we love and had a really, really enjoyable day. Uh, but over the past couple of days, especially in preparation for being here today and worshiping with you, and due to the fact that I was gone last week on vacation with my family and missed you, uh, I got to think a lot over the past few days about how thankful I am to be a part of Christ's body, this local body, Double Oak Community Church in Chelsea, with you. Uh, and I want to share with you this morning just some things that, that I'm thankful for and perhaps remind you some things that you can be thankful for. And maybe if you're new here, you're visiting, or this is the first time to kind of give you an example of, of really what God is doing in the life of this church and why we are so thankful. Uh, number one, over the course of this year, you know, Thanksgiving is a time toward the end of the year we get to reflect and think on all the incredible things that we're thankful for, the things that God has done. And when I look around this place today and then week after week and see you and see your, and when I see you, I see your face and I, I know your story, so many of you, and I can just look in this room and see all the incredible things that God has done to redeem and, and, and sanctify and grow so many of us in the Lord this year. There's been new community groups. There's been new ministries that have been started. Women's ministry that's taken off. Men's ministry. All kinds of things that are happening in adult discipleship in our church. In addition to that, our children's ministry is growing. New people are serving. New people are volunteering. That's happening in our preschool as well. And we need more. But I'm so, so thankful for all the things that are happening in those ministries. And then the Lord brought us Drew this year to really come and share our students and lead them and help grow them in their understanding, their maturation of the gospel. For all of those things, I'm incredibly thankful. And I also wanted to share with you this. I'm thankful for these two things this year. That Thus far this year, we've seen 15 people profess faith in Christ in this place and come to know the Lord and are baptized. Amen? In addition to that, 51 new members, 51 people that not are, are just people that came and showed up here and decided, hey, we kind of like this place or, or we'll tolerate it because it's the closest one near us. No, but, but feel genuinely called by the Lord to be a part of this body. 51 new people that are here. For that, I'm incredibly thankful. We have so much, so, so much to be thankful for. Myriad things in our lives to be thankful for. Man, I'm so thankful for you. I'm reminded of these words that Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1. I think I put this in there. Did I put it in there, Chad? I did not put it in there. Well, here's the thing. If you go to Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, this is what you'll read. You'll read Paul recount and talk about his love for the Philippian church. He says it in this way. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. He thanks 
God for these people that he dearly loves. And then specifically he describes in verse 6 and on their partnership with him in the gospel. It's not just that they're, they're nice folks or they're kind or they're gifted. No, but it's that they're working together to help people experience and know the good news of Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection. And I could not be more thankful to have the privilege of being a part of this body with you and to be a part of all that God is doing in this church. And I'd love for us right now, if we can, to just take a moment to, to bow our heads and to thank the Lord for one another and the opportunity to be a part of his body together. If you will, pray with me. Heavenly Father, so many things to be thankful for. Father, we could, we could spend all of worship today just recounting blessings, one by one, all the amazing things that you have done for us. You've given us, even as your word says in Ephesians, every heavenly blessing, every rich, every possible thing that we need, and more you've lavished upon us in Christ. And so, Father, for what you're doing in your church in the life of this body, Father, we are thankful. I'm thankful for brothers and sisters who love you and who love one another and who are living out the gospel and proclaiming the truth of who you are. Father, thank you for all that you're doing. And, Father, would you give us, Father, the urge of the Spirit. Father, by your Spirit, would you encourage us to see and be reminded of all the things that we can be thankful for, especially when we see one another pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you will, grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we're going uh, to be today in just a moment. I want to start by reading you something. Um, It's very old and it's very important. By the President of the United States of America... A proclamation. Whereas on the 22nd day of September in the year of our Lord, 1,862, a proclamation was issued by the President of the United States containing, among other things, the following to wit, that on the first day of January in the year of our Lord, 1,863, all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state, the people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the United States." shall be then thenceforward and forever free. And the executive government of the United States, including the military and naval authority thereof, will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons and will do no act or acts to repress such persons or any of them in any efforts they make for their actual freedom. We don't really talk like that anymore. These are the opening lines of an executive order called the Emancipation Proclamation issued by Abraham Lincoln on January 1st, 1863. And when you hear those lines, you can hear power. And not just the authoritative power of a president, but also the ramifications of the sea change in the effect of what will soon take place. And it's this, it's freedom. Here's the thing. Those words are not only powerful, they're also actually very personal. 
You see, you hear those words, you might say, well, that's, that's, a, that's a president making a proclamation. He's making this statement. He's doing this thing. But actually, for Abraham Lincoln, it was actually really, really personal. In the mid-1930s, there was this group of people called the Federal Writers Project, and they interviewed thousands of former slaves, some of whom claimed that the president actually came to their plantations disguised as a beggar or a peddler, telling them that they'd soon be free. We don't know how much is fact and how much is lore, but it's obvious that Abraham Lincoln was concerned with the freedom of those people who were in slavery, so much so that he had personal interactions with those who experienced this pain. So these words are not only powerful, they're also personal, but even more, there's this. There was deep purpose in this Emancipation Proclamation, and this was it. It expanded the domain of freedom. It allowed people to be free, and it allowed black men into the Union Army doing this, enabling them to help free others. When you think of Abraham Lincoln, you probably think of a lot of things. If you're a kid, you think of a top hat and a beard, right? Some of us think of four score and 70 years ago, those types of things. But for many, Lincoln's identity is tied to this very proclamation. What if I told you that your identity is tied to a proclamation as well? And one that's way more personal than the one that Abraham Lincoln viewed so personally, one that is more powerful than this declaration of freedom, one that has an even deeper purpose. We've been in this series for a few weeks called Who We Are. And the goal for this has been to say, hey, we really want to establish and see our identity Not just as Double Oak Community Church, as as, as a gathered body of people, but as as Christians. So we've been in this series entitled, Who We Are. And we've seen a couple of things that we really wanted to to draw out for the first four weeks. Who we are in relationship to God. You notice that I thought there were things that were going to be there. We spent the next four weeks, and I'm so thankful for this specifically over the past couple, discovering who we are in relationship to one another. And really over the past couple weeks, it was really beautiful to see Brian share from Philippians 2 and help us understand that that not only are we God's possession, that's who we are in relationship to him, but that we're God's people, that we're people who look to the interest of others. As Jeff preached last week, that we're people who are meant to pursue reconciliation. And to restore, be a part of the restoration of God restoring broken relationships. Today, we're going to look at who we are in relationship to the world. Who we are in relationship to the world. And this is what we're going to discover. That we are people that have a proclamation of our own. That we are proclaimers of the glory of God. That we are proclaimers of the glory of God. Three things that we hope to learn today. Number one, what we proclaim, the proclamation of God's glory, is personal. What we proclaim is incredibly personal. Second, what we proclaim is also powerful. And then finally, our purpose, your 
purpose. My purpose is to proclaim the glory of God in Jesus Christ. To proclaim the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Where does, where does that come from? Where do we see that? Well, here's where we see it. First Peter chapter 2. This has been an anchor text for us over the course of this series. We're going to read verses 9 and 10 together. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. You may proclaim. Peter writes and he says that you've been redeemed, you've been taken out of darkness, you've been transferred, as Paul would even write, they're kind of sharing the same idea, this motif of moving from darkness into light, the same one that Paul would use in Colossians, right? Why? That you may proclaim the goodness of what God has done in Jesus that you're his possession, that once you were not a people, but now you are a people, that you may proclaim. Well, what does it mean to proclaim? What does it mean to proclaim something? It means something more than to just state something. It means something more than just saying something. To proclaim means to openly and publicly declare or announce something. To announce something publicly. The glory of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, what we proclaim, this redemption being moved from darkness to light, is personal. Peter's saying something really important here. He's saying this, that we announce to the world the excellencies, the glory, the majesty of God in Christ Jesus. This is not just something that has happened out in the world, but this has happened to us personally. He uses simple, human, personal language. He says that you may proclaim that you are his possession, that you were once not a people, but now you are a people. That line resonates so much with me in what we just sang together. Some perceive God as distant and removed. You likely perceived God as, as that at some point. But here's the reality. He's lovingly, relentlessly pursued us personally. And I love that language that we just sung, praise the one who would reach for me. Not just because it feels good or because it sounds good, because it's actually biblical. It is true. He has reached for each of us personally, each one of us. We can look back into the Psalms and see this. We didn't long for him, and we could not come to him apart from the saving work of Jesus. The expression of God's love for us were created in his image for his glory with the deepest, purest, most perfect intentionality imaginable beyond anything we can comprehend. This is how personal our God is, the God who has come for us and pursued us personally. So that we can proclaim him and what he has done for us in Jesus personally. This is Psalm 139. 
verses 7 through 16. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. For you form my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is how personal God is. That he has made you and he loves you and he's pursued you so much so that he has given his only son for us to sacrificially die on the cross and be raised again that you could be made alive to enjoy life and love in him. So when you proclaim the excellencies of God, the salvation and the life that you have in Jesus, you're not just sharing information. And when I share the gospel with you, when you share the gospel with me, when we recount our story, we sang it this morning. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior. You know what that is? That's proclaiming. When we share that with one another, we're not just sharing information. We're sharing something deeply personal, what God has done for each of us. The proclamation is you telling the world what God has done for you. Lewis says it in this way, and I love this, that to, to describe the personal nature of God and his love for us. He died not for men, but for each man. If each man had been the only man made, he would have done no less. This is how loved you are in Christ. God loves you personally. And so when you experience that love, you and I get to proclaim that love. Not as an idea, not as a philosophy, not as something that we share with someone so that they could have a better life. No, we proclaim personally the good news of Jesus. Our proclamation is not only personal, it's also this. It is powerful. There are a lot of things that you and I proclaim, and I would argue this. Um, if proclaim means to declare or announce publicly, I would propose that we are the most declaring, most publicly announcing, most proclaiming group of people in history. Genuinely. With, with Facebook, with Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and whatever the new one is that came out today, we're living in the generation of proclamation. That is where we are. Everything that you post or everything that you retweet is not just a declaration to those people in your sphere. You're putting it out there into the ether for the entirety of the world to see. Perhaps there is no more public proclamation. The new restaurant you, you tried, the birthday party you attended, the game your kid played in, the book that you're reading, the quote that inspired you, the list goes on and on. The miraculous touchdown conversion on 4th and 31... Where the defense only sent two pass rushers and effectively lost the game and broke my heart into a million pieces. 
you know, stuff like that. <laughs> the world sees those things. That's a proclamation. And while those have influence or insight or maybe even inspiration, I want to be very clear that none of them have power. When we proclaim the excellency of what God has done in saving us, we're declaring something with real power. When you proclaim the gospel, God is at work. Read these words from Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul writes and he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. When we share the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the truth of his life and death and resurrection, and we do it personally, we're sharing the excellency of what God has done, and God is using that, he's working that for others to believe and to be transformed personally as well. Jesus proclaimed this power in himself, they use the words of the prophet Isaiah to do it. In Luke's gospel account, look into Luke chapter 4, and you're going to see these words. And this comes on the heels. In Luke's gospel, he recounts the temptation of Jesus in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus goes to Nazareth, and he goes to his hometown. He goes to the temple, and this is what happens. It says this, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Isaiah 43. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Good news for the poor. Liberty for captives, sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed. It's one thing to declare someone free from slavery in a nation. It is a bold and brilliant, and beautiful, and amazing proclamation. But how much more that to those of us, all of us, poor in spirit, blinded, in deep need, separated from God, Jesus gives this proclamation of liberty. That through me you're free. That's you, and that's me. And when we take part in proclaiming the gospel, we're at work. We're getting to see the Lord work through us to proclaim good news to others. The very same spirit that was upon Jesus now lives within you. And the spirit is urging us to proclaim this good news to others. The gospel that we proclaim it's personal and it's powerful. It's also our purpose. 
Our purpose is to proclaim the glory of God in Jesus Christ. If we're the most proclaiming generation, we're telling everybody what we think and feel and like and don't like, dressing versus stuffing and all those types of things, right? If we're the most proclaiming generation, I would argue that we're also likely the most distracted. Because we're busy, we're so busy, we have so many things, but we can't even be present most of the time because there is a never-ending barrage of messages, of emails, of alerts, of notifications, of updates that we are all receiving. You ever feel like you're living and you, you, you don't quite feel alive? What's, what's life about anyway? Is, is it finding happiness? Is it the next thing? Is it the job? Is it the house? Is it the car? Is it the achievement? Is it protecting your retirement? Is it investing correctly? Is it buying a house at the right time? Is it the right time? Will the market correct? What is for dinner tonight? Do I stop at the store? Is my spouse going to stop at the store? I'll go back and I'll check my messages. That's the kind of world that you and I live in. Why do we live in that? Why do we get caught up in that cycle? Why are we scrolling our phones and filling our face with blue light before we go to sleep at night and picking up the same thing the very first thing the next morning? Why are we doing that? Because we've forgotten our purpose. We either don't know or we fail to remember our purpose. You want your life to have purpose. You want your life to have meaning. This is the good news of the gospel. You don't have to go create that for yourself. God has given it to you and for you. Jesus was absolutely certain of his purpose. This is Luke's gospel, chapter 19, and verse 10. This is on the heels of his, of his meeting, Zacchaeus. Goes to have dinner with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus proclaims that he's going to return all these monies. And and, and Jesus talks about the salvation of Abraham. He says, for the Son of Man, Jesus declares his purpose. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So it's unique that he's doing this with, with sinners, with the people that are outside. But he's also proclaiming the same purpose with those who are following him. Do you remember the story in Mark's gospel? We're going to read in a second from Mark chapter 10, verse 45. This comes on the heel of this great debate between James and John who are saying, Lord, when, when you enter into your kingdom, let me sit next to you. Let me sit at your right hand. Remember this? And the disciples are, or the other disciples are all frustrated They're frustrated that these guys are trying to get a leg up with Jesus and get recognized by him and have extra authority or extra love or care or benevolence or whatever it is that they particularly long for, probably all of the above and more. Jesus comes and he says to them, no, 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 the goal is not to be served but to serve. And that's not just for you, that's for me. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to do this. To give his life as a ransom for many. This is the purpose of God. Do you know that God made you with a purpose? That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Beautiful, created in his image, but also for his glory. Do you know the purpose for which God made you? It is very clearly depicted here in Peter's words, that we may proclaim. This is the so that. 
We were once not a people. We were once not his possession. Now we are so that we can glorify God as we proclaim him. Jesus is king. And you're a co-heir with him. You're a son or a daughter. You are loved by God. And you are designed, you are meant to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Any other purpose is futile. It will not endure. The grass withers, the flowers fade. Our lives are but a vapor. But we've been given purpose to go and proclaim the excellencies, the beauty, the wonder, the majesty, the grace, the mercy, the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? We're meant to proclaim this. Everybody loves the identity, I think, that that we're God's possession, that we belong to him. We even love this, this identity marker of who we are, Man, we're God's people. I'm, I'm, there's, a, there's a family that I'm drawn into. I'm connected to one another. This is not optional. This is not something that we say, well, there's some, like, Michael, it's your job. You're a, you're a pastor. You're a preacher. So, you, so you're the one that's the proclaimer. No, this is you. You've been redeemed. You've been saved. You were dead, and you've been made alive. This is not a job, it's your joy. And it's your purpose to share the good news, to proclaim Jesus, to proclaim the excellencies of moving from darkness to light and to life. Our purpose is to proclaim God's glory in Jesus Christ. So what do we do with all this? Three big things I would encourage you to leave with today. As you look at this passage and you hear this truth and you see this identity marker, this is who you are. You are, you are a proclaimer of God's glory in Jesus Christ. Number one, I would urge you to proclaim the gospel to yourself. To preach to yourself and remember the good news that you were once dead and have now been made alive. That you would remember your baptism. I mean, I'm praying for, this morning, prayed for 15 people that they would remember what God has done in their life, that that, that he's redeemed them, that there would be brothers and sisters like us that would come around them and remind them and remember when life gets hard or things are troubling or they feel as if they've let God down or that God can't love them anymore because the way in which they say, we go back and we remind them, we say, no, 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 you're redeemed, you're saved, not because of what you've done, because of what Christ did for you. And I watch you profess that you've trusted in Jesus. Man, we need, to, we need so many people around us to preach the gospel to us, but we got to preach the gospel to ourselves. Second, when we proclaim the gospel, we proclaim the gospel to the world as personal. Not as this thing that we read in a book or a lesson that we learned, but about the God who reached for us, the God who came after us, the God who saved me, little old me, from my sin. The God of the universe that formed me and made me in his image. And I broke it and I marred it with all of my sin. And yet while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. That's my story. 
That's what God has done for me and for you. That's how we ought to proclaim the gospel to the world as personal. Third, me and I sat last night around the counter with a couple of people, um, some friends, and um, among other things, we mourned, right? We mourned. But after all, it's just football. We talked about life in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s. And this recognition of getting to know oneself and understanding oneself and just thinking about, man, I, I look back 20 years ago and I think about what, what did I think my purpose was? What did I think my goal was? It was 20. Sometimes it was just to like make it to the next week. To just do the next thing. To just do a week more of school. To do a week more of work. To just have a good day. Start making decisions and life comes at you and all these things are happening. You're like, well, what's my, what's my purpose? This has been the purpose all along. This is eternal life, to know the one true God, Jesus Christ, who he sent. Now, once you know him, to proclaim him, to share that good news with everyone. And I I look out at you this morning as brothers and sisters and not as, as just people. You are people, but you're so much more. You're not just a clump of cells walking around out here. Beautiful clumps, although you may be. And you have purpose. And it's to go glorify God as you proclaim who he is and what he's done for you in Jesus. Man, you want to have purpose? You want to know your purpose? This is your purpose. Proclaim Jesus as king.